Thank you, Church. Welcome, Church. Uh, wow, it's an amazing view. I mean, never been week. I've been here twice because on Monday we just had our AGM. It was a fantastic night, and now I'm here. <laughs> right. Let's kick start. In 1974, an astrophysicist, Frank Drake, he decided to let's reach out to the outer space. Let's see if anything's out there is intelligent and might want to talk to us. So he designed something called Arrestable Message, sent out by a telescope called Arrestable Telescope. So it was basically a message to try to find, you know, E.T., right? The movie that was inspired later on in 1982. So it's just a very simple picture. You can see the picture in the middle. It's pretty bad. But that was 1974, right? So, so it's just digits and numbers and formulas, and it's trying to have a telescope picture at the bottom, the purple one. Now, the problem is, it's going to take 25,000 years to arrive to where it's sent. So in the meantime, we're still waiting for responses, but we don't know it's going to get anywhere. And the problem is, it might not land because the long flight is a lot of like galactic movements and it's not going to hit or what. Who knows? But in the meantime, they are waiting for the response. Humanity has already respond, has received the response that we are crying out for. All right. The response from another world, from our Lord Jesus, that has sent to us because our humanity, brokenness, our cry out, our groan. So today, we're going to continue our book of Luke. In the last past, in the past four weeks, uh, Pastor uh, Paul, Pastor Cal, and Pastor Sharon have already started with uh, the journey to to unfold uh, Jesus' life, ministry, and His kingdom to us. And we see that how different it is His kingdom compared to our world. For example, we are sending, he was sending 30 and 80 disciples in the villages with no money, with no food. We've seen how the money or possession should be handled and processed and viewed in the kingdom. We have also seen how Jesus prophesied the victory, which is to the shock to the disciples, his death by dying on the cross. So today I'll be covering Luke chapter 14 and 15 and 18 to 19. So much is happening in there, but when I was praying, God reminded me to take a step back. Throughout all the scriptures, all the books in the Bible, there's always only one message that God is trying to tell us. It's his message of his passion and pursuit of human. It's how he's relentless love for us. So why don't we pray, and then we can get into it. Lord God, we praise you. You are the King of Kings. You have the water of life. Lord God, I pray that this morning you will come to us, speak to us. Allow us to worship you here with your words, with our devotion, with our love. And may your spirit fill all of us so that we can surrender our lives before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so start with Luke chapter 15. We'll go back to 14 a bit later. So the 15, we probably know that's about the parable of lost and fine. So Pastor Paul Carr and Sharon, 
they've already set the scene in the last four weeks. So how Jesus started ministry, how he started to ramp up. Now he was not slowing down, he was ramping up so much that like he started doing a lot of miracles, healing, driving out demons. He was teaching the crowd, he was feeding thousands, and he was start to get those Pharisees and teachers of laws not comfortable. So today we start with the parable of the lost and found. So it's basically a parable with three parts. The three parts. The first one is a lost sheep. The second one is a lost coin, and the last one is a lost son. So each time that something's lost and something's found with increasing intensity, increasing value. You probably know by the end of the story, the lost son was found by his father. That the son. Before the death of his father, he asked for inheritance. He took the money. He ran away to a distant country. He had a lot of wild parties and drinks, and and a lot of not so good friends. And he wasted all the money, and the famine hit the place. And then he spent all his money, and then he was start to suffer a lot. He almost had to eat what a pig has to eat. And then he came to his senses and decided, why don't I go home? Why don't I just go home? And ask my father's forgiveness and be a servant of his. His father welcomed him home, like nothing happened, with a great celebration, and said, "My lost son is fine." So you probably know the stories, and Jesus was telling these parables to a lot of people, to the crowd, including sinners, including Pharisees. And who are the sinners? Sinners are those days that people despise. Sinners like tax collectors, prostitutes. Sick people, lame people, blind people, deaf people. A lot of people were considered sinners at the day because the conditions. Remember the time the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man outside the temple. There was a common belief that the blind people, or disabled people, or disadvantaged people is a con- is a result of sin, of them, or maybe of the parents. But Jesus gave a radical countercultural. Answer. He said in John chapter nine, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciple asked him, "Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin?" And Jesus answered, "It was not because of sin or his parents' sin." Jesus answered, "This happened so the power of God could be seen in him." In the last one parables, we saw how. God's longing for sinners' return. Every time when something was fine, there was a celebration. He, the person who lost the thing, will call his friends or neighbors, and they will have a celebration for the things to find. It means a lot for sinners' repentance for God. He did not settle with ninety-nine of hundred that he had, or the nine corn out of ten corns that he had, or the one of the two sons he still had. It seems there was more joy for the father. That the rest,、uh, that the loss is fine. Then the rest are around. It's so much so that like it's like his son has come back from death to life. I know we all kicking and leaving and other stuff, right? But imagine someone dear to you, someone close to you, come back to life if he or she has passed away. It really touched my heart every time when I heard this that. How much God is pleased with my repentance? I'm sure He's pleased when we are all here. We worship Him with all our hearts, with genuine, authentic worship. But it pleases Him so much when a lost person is fine.
There's one thing I would like to highlight among these parables. Realize that every time when something is lost in these parables, it's always the one that was lost is fine. The shepherd did not just go out to the field and take a random animal, right? Another sheep, a goat, a donkey, a packer, or a rabbit to replace the sheep. No, it's always that one sheep that was lost he find. The woman did not just find another random coin, a silver coin, another silver coin, a gold coin, copper coin, and settle for the night. Now he, she, find the lost coin, and the father did not find another son, did not adopt a servant of his. To be his son, to inherit him, he was looking for the very son he lost. It's always the person. It's always the person with the right heart. He's after. He's not after a number. He's not after a crowd. He's after you and I. The message of the gospels is an inviting message of grace and passion. It seeks to restore the intrinsic value of purpose. Mission for individuals. At where I work, there are people coming in and out of the business. So I work a full-time job somewhere in a business. And during the last few years, we had COVID, right? So we had people joining the business during COVID lockdown, and some of them actually left the business before the lockdown finished. So I found that a lot of them I actually just knew of the name HR Anans. So and so has joined the business, but before I got to meet them, they have already left the business. And I find that experience is really not ideal because, like, you got someone working with you, doing things for you, but you never met them. But in this modern world, as business progresses and a lot of times outcomes are focused, this is the way it is of the society. Unfortunately, people are valued increasingly as interchangeable parts, as a disposable resource, as a short-term gain values. But in the kingdom of God, we see that. God treasures and values personal relationship. God wants to know you. We are here to worship. We are here to communicate with Him, with a personal relationship. We are not a disposable resource. God wants you here for eternity in His kingdom. There's distinctive identity and purpose from each of us. God longs for our return. And Jesus' parable also exposed the heart of the religious leaders at the time, as he portrayed the elder brother, the elder brother, with his discontentment, his complaint, his mirror-based, work-based relationship with his father. So and so that, like he said, all these years I have slaved for you. He saw himself slaving for his brother. Now I'm not looking for my daughter saying to me in twenty years. But sometimes, when you do so much for your father or your Lord or your God, we have this servant-like, slave-like mentality. He rather earned a goat to celebrate with his friends, not with his family, but with his friends. I'm sure when he was his younger brother was missing, he was clocking in, clocking out with perfect record every day, because that's his mentality. He was a slave, not his father. But a slave for his relationship, his false understanding with his father. Going back to Luke fourteen, there was a great feast, and Jesus was actually invited to a Sabbath banquet. And Jesus, being Jesus, he was making the most. He was making the most out of the moment by telling a parable about a great feast. 
It goes like that. A man was hosting a great feast and had sent out many invites. And when the feast was ready, those who were invited just gave, started to give excuses and not trying to come. And at the end, the host went out to the street and invited all kinds of people in the feast. The people were invited but did not come. They gave excuses. The first one, they said they bought a land. They had to go and check it out. The second one said they bought five pairs of oxen and they had to check it out. And the last one was really weird. He just got married and didn't want to come. Now, who bought a land without first looking at it? It's a significant investment, we all know. Who bought five pairs of oxen without first checking out the oxen? Make sure they're really oxen. All right, there's a lot of false advertising this day. And make sure they can plow, they're strong. And why you cannot come to a party when you just got married? Just bring your wife, right? Just bring her along. So if your husband always rejects party invite and do not want to take you to party, make sure you check the details in the invite. Either something's wrong with the party or something's wrong with your husband. <laughs> the guests invited were just too proud to come. They did not want to come. It was just lame excuses, right? They did not want to come. Despise the host and the reason why there was a feast. It's not worth the time. They didn't want to go at all. Now, but the host did not cancel the party, the feast. He brought in the people from the street. He brought in those people who were deemed not worthy, unqualified, despicable. And those people were poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Those people had no hope in recognition, no hope receiving invite to any awesome parties. There's no hope for those people to achieve greatness. When Jesus came to earth, he came with his kingdom. Because where the king, kingdom is, the king is also. And with his kingdom, we, we see all the priorities, we all see all the new values, but do we see that as well? Do we share those values with Jesus? Do we see the kingdom, the invite to the kingdom is our top priority? That we need to put it in the fridge to make sure we don't miss it. We said 10 alarm clocks to make sure we don't miss it. Or do we st stick it in the corner of the desk and say, yeah, that's nice. I'll come back to it when I have time. What's our priorities in our life? We are welcome to this kingdom regardless of who we are, what we have done in the past and present and also future. We are not worthy, yet we are all invited. We see that only people who see their own brokenness will respond and accept this invite and grab hold this opportunity with all their strength because that's the only hope. That's the only hope they have in their life. However, unfortunately, we sometimes choose to settle with what the world has to offer. Right? We find something in this world and say, that's good enough, I'll settle with that. Self-sufficiency sometimes is that subtle lie that we believe in. Sometimes we say, yeah, we've got this. We've got this sorted. We've managed this. We find fulfillment from things in this life, but not from the kingdom. Jesus then talked about what kind of people are in the kingdom. He talked about the cost to pay to come to the kingdom. Like building a construction, like a king going out to the war, you need to understand the cost. Because when you know the cost, you appreciate that. In Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, the first four, 
He talks about the kind of people in the kingdom. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be com- comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. For those who know they're at the end of their ropes, those who have lost someone dear to them and are heartbroken, those who are content with God and what God has entrusted them, those who treasure and passionate about what God has in store for them. This is the kind of people in the kingdom. The message of the gospel invites all to enter the kingdom, all, but only those who are humble and desperate would accept the invitation in unequal gratitude. It's easier to support other people around us, especially around practical needs and all that, right? Just think of the kids, or maybe your husband once in a while. But we also have people around us that lost their jobs, suffering in poor health, stuck in financial hardships, or they lost someone in their life. It's easy to support others, but we're less likely to realize that we are actually the one in the end of the rope of ourselves. It takes humility to admit that we are need, we're in need, that we need God's intervention in our life. And sometimes instead we find distractions. I'll give you an example. So instead of having a meaningful conversation in the evening or time of prayer, we just withdraw and have a snack and watch Netflix. Sometimes we find escape. Instead of addressing my attitude problem in my work or study, I just keep changing job or changing courses in uni and thought, ah, it must be the cost, it must be the job. But when in fact the issue is my attitude. But sometimes we find compensation. Instead of working things out with my husband or wife or children, I just do more for them. I just buy them things to compensate. Now, Perry might not want me to have my ice cream tonight, but we can have a meaningful conversation about that. We deny, we evade, we lack the humility to surrender to God, which is most needed for every moment. We need God's intervention in our life. We need to have the humility to surrender all to God. We gain the most when we surrender the most to God's rules and reigns in our lives. Our whole of life surrender. Not just one part, some parts, but all parts in our life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it says, May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's prayer. May his kingdom come to your life, my life. May his will be done in all our lives. It goes to chapter 18. There's a rich religious leader, or in some translations say the young and rich ruler. Either way, he's pretty impressive. Rich, young, and he's a ruler, and he's religious. He ran and knelt before Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sincere question, very important question, not just to him, but the rest of us. After all, we want to spend eternity with God. 
And he said he's kept all the law since he was young, right? He was really good. He's, he's really up there. And Jesus told him the answer that he's after. There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now there was a false understanding at the time that the kingdom and wealth go hand in hand. That righteousness will earn your way into the kingdom. By moral conduct, by religious act, law-keeping, you earn your way to eternity. That's his life. And he also wants to take his riches into this eternal life. Jesus' answers simply do not reconcile with his worldview, his beliefs, his paradigm. He found it very conflicting with him. So we know the end of the story. He felt very sad and he walked away. And that's the worldview of the rich religious leader. That wealth is a result of his righteousness. Wealth is his reward from God because of his righteousness. Therefore, for the poor people, because of the sin, because they were not righteous, they were not keeping the law, they must have done something wrong, they end up poor and sick. So poor people do not deserve his wealth. Why would he give all his wealth for the people that do not deserve it? It's almost like living under an illusion. Illusion with these two things, righteousness and getting to the kingdom, are the two sides of the same coin. Being wealthy and being righteous. I'm not sure if others could actually tell his motivation out of his life. Maybe even he himself cannot tell about his motivation. Jesus saw his genuine heart in his question. In Mark 10, the same story, Jesus said he felt his love for this person. And Jesus tried to save him from this illusion by asking him to give away his wealth so that his motives can be purified. Are we in illusions today? Are we just like the rich religious leader? There are things that in this coin of illusion that we cannot split. For us, could it be being a follower of Christ, but also have a controlled lifestyle? What if Jesus wants us to withdraw our control and allow his value, allow his work to get underneath to our values and transform us so that in all space in our life belongs to his? What about social circles? Sometimes we have church social circles, we have unchurched social circles. What if Jesus wants us to blur these lines and allow him to get into all circles of ours if we surrender our lives to him? What about the perception of successful church ministry? That a successful ministry means bigger buildings, more people here every Sunday. What if God leads us into space, social spaces that might not give us bigger building, might not give us more people. But those who need Jesus most get to hear the gospel and be touched by him. Do we have these coins of illusions? These coins that forged by our history, forged by our human experiences, culture, church culture, that we cannot split. The complexity is so hard. Just like what Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the impossible human conditions raving his fist in front of humanity, Jesus said, "What is impossible for people is possible with God. In God, all things is possible." And how does it look like? It looks like when a very rich tax collector, one of the sinners, gave half his money to the poor, and he paid back four times to the people he cheated. It looks like when a sinful man saw the glimpse of hope of salvation and redemption, and embraced it with a humble heart. And his name is Zacchaeus, that we all know. When we look at the rich religious man. On one hand, that he has spent his life keeping the law, earning credibility. The sinful man of his entire life focused in gaining wealth, finding security, accumulation. Had no regard to other people. We find that the person who had the humble heart was accepted by Jesus. So who is Zacchaeus? He's one of the chief tax collectors. In Luke chapter three, remember, John the Baptist was actually preaching to a lot of people, and some of them were actually tax collectors. So Zacchaeus already had some of his teaching. He probably have heard some of the Jesus stories or miracles. His heart was stirred when he heard all this story that there's a redemption coming, God's kingdoms here, there's healings, there's miracles. Being a Jew, knowing all his inheritance and stories. He wondered, could this be the Messiah everyone was talking about, the Messiah that he was looking forward to meet? He knew that whatever he has accumulated, his wealth, his security, his relationship with the officials, could not satisfy his soul. He knew he was living in an illusion. Now we could not blame him because under Roman occupation, life was really tough. He was doing what he could. To get ahead, to feel secure. I mean, given he was not very tall, he was not built for physical work, right? He was doing what he could to feel secure. If we look at that, it's not a first-century story. It is a twenty-first-century story. It happens today among us, out there, in here. We all do what we can to feel secure, to get ahead. Do we believe like the elder son, the rich religious leader, that works, merit, law keeping, will earn our way into the kingdom of God? Or do we believe that we have achieved nothing? We are nothing. We did not born from the right family. We do not possess the right amount of treasure, and God has written us off. Do we place the kingdom of God at the top? Of our priority, or just somewhere in the middle. The message of the gospel liberates us from the delusion of justification through merit or accumulation. It enables us to start a lifelong journey of discipleship with Jesus. Jesus was out there looking for Zacchaeus, like the shepherd was looking for the sheep. 
Zacchaeus did not bump into Jesus. Jesus was looking for him. Jesus saw his anticipation and his humility. He was ready for Jesus. He heard of his story when Jesus was upon him. He quickly came down from the tree and received Jesus. The message of the gospel restores what success looks like in our lives as part of the kingdom. It is with a heart of humility, repentance, surrender. It is not about being compliant, driven by fear, or by personal ambition. It is a heart longing to return to home and reconcile with our Father in heaven. May I have the worship team, please? For us, brothers and sisters, the gauge I would check if I am Christ-centered for the day, for the week, for the month, is not how much I have done in ministry, how much I've served, how many hours I've put in things, how much I've given, donations, offering. But if my heart is humble, is soft, is open, like the message our scientists sent out to outer space about our culture. The message of God is about His culture. It's about His kingdom. It's about His world. God sent His message by sending Jesus and nailed Himself on the cross. He died on the cross and that's the message. Have we received it in great gratitude considering how unworthy we are? Is it what we have done that qualifies us into His kingdom and His presence? Is God knocking on your heart today and try to save you from any illusion that we are in? Is God calling you to surrender some of your beliefs, preferences, so that you can have more of Him? If that's you, come today. And if you're visiting, thank you for spending the morning with us. There's one gift I will give you, just like what I would ask for Zacchaeus if I were there on the day. Why are you here? Why are you here? Are you looking for something? You're here not by chance like Zacchaeus on the tree on the day. You're here because you knew the answer you're looking for your life somewhat lies here. You might have heard of Jesus many times in the culture, but you always have kept him in arm's length away. You feel there's better things in this life other than what you have already had. And you are right, and that's Jesus. So today, I hope you come. Come and receive. My house here and receive Jesus on the day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for taking us back to your kingdom. We are so unworthy. We come before you with great gratitude. Because it's not us, but you. But Father, we thank you for loving us as individuals. That you see each of us is the precious land that you were set out to find. And you'll find us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. We are not a number to you, but children of yours. Thank you for giving us a new heart to long for the kingdoms, 
to long for eternity and shift our eyes to you in our life of worship. And for those who are here today, I pray that you will give them a heart of Zacchaeus, that they are ready, they will be waiting. Lord God, you are working in their hearts and calling out their names. Want them come down from that sycamore fig tree and receive you today.